0: Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, I'm your host Jacob Granger. Each week we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry and today we're talking about the online events world, something we've all gotten used to since the start of the pandemic. Before Covid struck, physical events emerged as a way to reach audiences directly and source new revenue, but that was all thrown into the air when we went into lockdown. Despite ropey audio and having bedrooms for backgrounds, there are considerable upsides to virtual events, like having a wider global audience at your fingertips and the fewer expenses involved. My guest today is Awesome Francescone, Managing Director of FT Live, the Financial Times' conference and events business. He says that the publisher had big plans for physical events pre-Covid and had to act fast to pivot to the virtual world. The pandemic has given way to a greater business opportunity though. FT Live has reached 250,000 delegates through virtual events, which is a tenfold increase from what its physical events used to fetch. As the months have gone on though, Zoom fatigue has set in and the novelty has worn off. But that hasn't stopped FT Live putting more events in the diary, including its first physical event since pre-lockdown, happening in September. It will do so armed with many lessons learned from the pandemic, and we'll hear more about that after this. As well as great editorial content, Journalism.co.uk brings you the latest jobs and opportunities from around the media industry. Our job of the week is a reporter position at Last Word Media. For this position and all the rest on our jobs board, head on over to www.journalism.co.uk forward slash jobs. Awesome, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. What's the working situation like for yourself at the moment?
1: Thank you, Jacob, and uh, thank you so much for inviting me to to speak to you and your listeners. Um, I'm actually in Bracken House at the moment, which is the historic uh, headquarters of the FT just by St Paul's in in central London. I must admit that the building isn't very busy, uh, but there's a trickle of people beginning to come back. And so hopefully it's the green shoots of... Of things uh, going back to normal or the new normal,
0: <laughs> those famous words. It's a, uh, it's all, it's always good to see people back in the newsroom, Orson. Uh It's one of the many things that have been disrupted by COVID nineteen. Of course, the other thing is the is the online events world, which we're kind of here to talk about today. I know you have a long history in sort of events management. Tell me, sort of pre pandemic, what were what events were the Financial Times really looking at at that time, um, and what really was the purpose of them? How seriously did they treat? Uh, the events world yeah
1: so i joined the financial times in november at the end of november of 2019 if you can believe it uh, and i spent most of my career with the daily mail group and then with haymarket media so two big uh, global publishers uh, and I was unbelievably excited to be joining the FT as managing director of FT live um, the day I was due to present my strategy to the board which was in sometimes in march was my you know my my 3 month anniversary i actually fell ill with covid and so i i never presented that strategy but then the offices shut down we went into lockdown and so that initial strategy which was based on a on a portfolio of physical events never got presented we pivoted at breakneck speed into the digital event world. And um, it was both exciting and exhilarating, unbelievably frightening and scary at times. Uh, I had to do a refocus for our CEO in April 2020 at the height of the pandemic. And, the, and that, that was a pretty grim refocus, where essentially, you know, the, the events business was kind of more or less wiped out because we you know w- without being able to run any events, there wasn't anything we could do. Our survival instinct kicked in, and we uh decided to run a small webinar called the Global Economic Emergency, which is a one hour webinar with our chief economic commentator Martin Wolf and we put it together in a couple of days and we marketed it for three days and we had something crazy like eight thousand registrations and so that was a real light bulb moment for us that maybe there was something in the digital space. Um four weeks later we launched the Global Boardroom, which is our flagship digital event. It was probably the biggest and most ambitious digital content event product in our industry. And so We ran the Global Boardroom over three days with 120 speakers, from Tony Blair to worldwide CEOs to Chairman of World Banks, Governors of the Bank of England, the BCE, you name it. The convening power of the FT at its very best in a time of crisis. And again, we started day one of the Global Boardroom with 25,000 registrations. and By the end of day three, we had more than 50,000 people had registered for that event. That really gave us the impetus that... Uh, there was not only is there was something in this digital event thing, but actually uh, there was a lot of good stuff in it. And so if you fast forward to December 2020, at the end of our financial year, we ended up running over 200 digital events. And we were able to convene over 250,000 uh, delegates uh, at our digital events. Now, bear in mind, in a, in a normal non-COVID year, FT Live would convene about 25,000 delegates at their physical uh, conferences across the world. And so we went from 25,000 people in a physical environment to 250,000 in a digital environment. And that is incredibly exciting for a news organization uh, and one that is a subscription-based one like the FT, because suddenly we were bringing in lots and lots of warm, engaged data into the organization, which was obviously not only feeding the event revenue model, but these are leads that can be turned into subscribers. And so suddenly we had something very powerful on our hands.
0: Amazing! You must have sat there and thought, "Wow, we've really stumbled across uh, a market opportunity here."
1: Eventually, I did. As I said at the beginning, it was very much a survival instinct mode. You know, if we don't do something, you know, essentially this business is, is dead, right? There was a bit of me three months into my new job th- thinking, <laughs> "I'm not going to let this crisis, uh, you know, uh, dictate to my career ambitions," uh, and uh, and then there was lots of kind of an agile mindset, right? And so if you look at the agile methodology and agile mindset, it was very much like that because it was pretty much pioneering work. You know, digital events just didn't exist, right? And so from a technology point of view, what we had to accomplish and put together was was unique and we had to find our way ourselves without more or less no one's help really Uh, and some things worked and some things didn't work and the things that didn't work we stopped doing and the things that did work we we did more of Um, but the speed the two strategic drivers in my mind when I was you know, explain to the team what we were going to do were as speed and chasing customer value. And so that I knew that moving fast and quickly was very important to give a signal to the market, our readers, our customers, and also our, our commercial partners at the FT. You know, this is a team that is used to convening um, delegates and speakers in a physical format in, in five star hotels or in convention centers or, across the world. And suddenly, we're turning this team into a digital events team where they have to learn digital skill sets and digital mindset and agile methodology. And, um, you know, most people came on board on the journey in, in, in an incredible fashion. And so we all threw ourselves into it. Uh, and we're now at a stage where we're very confident in what we're doing and, and, the, and the rewards we're reaping are very exciting.
0: Can you see now that audience still want this kind of product? I mean, we've talked so much about Zoom fatigue and the tired structure mm. of online events. Yeah. Um, do audience still want it?
1: I mean, listen, in, in short, Jacob, the answer is yes, because, you know, last year we had a really good year considering, uh, and we're now at a stage where we're, we're tracking well ahead of last year, and actually we are, just this month, we've started tracking ahead of 2019. So 2019 was the last year we run a physical event here. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, our business could end up bigger this year than it ever was in a physical format. And that's pretty mind-blowing, right? Um, And that's due to a lot of factors. Certainly the, the strength of the brand, I have to say, is incredible, right? And so the brand allows us to convene incredible speakers. And I guess in a time of uncertainty and crisis, our commercial partners want to partner with the best brands in, in the world right and so you know our incredible award-winning journalism is really what has been carrying us uh, and allowing us to grow at such at such speed even in a crisis you know i think in a crisis people revert to what they know best and revert to the safest brands
0: what do your delegates actually tell you in terms of what the what is the value they get out of these events
1: yeah really, really good question jacob yeah the digital event space allows us to use digital analytics in a much more powerful way than we could in the physical event world, right? And so we know, we can tell who's visiting our website and how the people are behaving, when they're booking, when they're not booking, what sessions are most popular, what sessions are are less popular. And so um, uh, we also run different formats in the digital space and so some of our flagship events like, for example, the Future of News, which is taking place this week on the uh, 10th of June with some of the most incredible professionals in our world joining. Uh, but we also run, you know, small roundtables, bespoke roundtables of some of our commercial partners, which are more intimate, intimate with a carefully selected curated audience. Depending on the type of event, you have different types of delegates behaving in different ways. Um, conversely, if you look at it from a commercial partner point of view, depending on where the commercial partner is in his or her marketing funnel, we have different solutions for him or her. So, for example, if you, if you are looking for a very broad um, brand visibility exercise, then maybe one of our flagships events is the best solution for you. If you are looking for a curated lead generation solution where you can speak to highly qualified or marketing qualified or sales qualified delegates for you to discuss their solution, then there's another product available for you. So in a way, it's horses for courses, Jacob. I think in terms of the Zoom fatigue, I mean, we're not really seeing it, I guess, is the answer. I mean, what we have seen is that you know people don't, For obvious reasons don't stay logged in online all day watching a conference right because that we know that that just doesn't work but what they do do is they they come in and out for the sessions that they need and obviously there is some networking element built into our digital event proposition and that is still you know i would still call it kind of slightly clunky and still slightly uh, experimental and so the more we can refine the networking element i think the, the stickier the delegates will get um but also, you know, on some of the big flagship events, again, like the Global Boardroom, you know, we might have big open public sessions, but then we might have some closed door invitation only sessions. And so really, we try and curate the content for different types of audiences at different type of times in their cycle. Uh, and lastly, we, we run one very successful and large consumer event, which is our FT Weekend Festival. Normally, the FT Weekend Festival takes place physically at Kenwood House on the first Saturday of September. Uh, Last year, we ran it digitally over three days, uh, and it was an incredible success. This year, we are planning on going back, so it's actually going to be our first foray back into the physical event world is going to take place on the 4th of September at Kenwood House with our FT Weekend Festival, which brings together An incredible audience of FT aficionados who are able to meet face to face with some incredible speakers and our journalists and editors so it's an amazing day out you know moving on to the kind of the future of events and digital and hybrid actually our FT weekend festival is going to be our first uh, foray back into the physical event world.
0: One thing that has become clear during this pandemic is that virtual events are not a like-for-like substitution for a physical one there are trade-offs Some might say that the ability for the audience to ask questions virtually might make it easier for them, but many of the other staples of physical events that we've come to expect, networking, panel discussions, workshops, simply do not translate in the same way over a computer screen. Let's go back to Orson on what this means for the future of media events.
1: You know, when I see the stats of some of the events and I see people in Papua New Guinea to Argentina logging in to see some of our FT events, I think that's incredible. Right. So these are audiences which would never have come to our physical events. And so in a way, there's no cannibalization of of audiences. If anything, we are gathering and bringing together people that, of course, knew who the FT was, but never had a chance to interact with the brand. And so it's a huge opportunity and that, you know, that tenfold increase in volume of people. Uh, is is pretty huge, right? So we are reaching people who would never have come to an event anyway, in any case. And so these are people who are interacting with the brand and hopefully will turn into subscribers. As you quite rightly said, listen, the, the, the digital event format is just very different and experience is completely different to a physical event, right? And so, first of all, you know, from a negative point of view, those serendipitous meetings and moments that we would have in a hotel corridor where we get to bump into clients or prospective clients are very hard to replicate, right? You know, when physical events will return, I think that is going to be one of the most important factors is, you know, being able to do that face-to-face networking. And no matter how good your digital technology is, it just isn't the same. Um, From a content point of view, actually, we can do quite a lot because digital allows you to scale up your events in a way that is financially sustainable, right? So the FT Weekend Festival is a good idea. So normally it runs for one day on Saturday, where 4,000 people come together. Well, last year when we ran it digitally, we decided to turn it into a three-day event because essentially the marginal cost of, of, of running a three-day event versus a one-day event is relatively small, right? You don't, you don't have to book the venue for three days uh, and people don't have to fly in to, to speak at the event. And so digital gives you a huge leverage in terms of scale, not only of delegates, but also of content that 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 you're, you're putting forward and so, you know that is a really exciting proposition and in a way we don't really want to let that go even when when physical events come back
0: yeah is you know you've spoken a lot about kind of the the business opportunity that is here is there you know a number a figure a percentage you know anything that you can give me to really encapsulate the the business opportunity here for the financial times
1: what what I would say is it's a it's a very significant both revenue and profit driver to the group um And so it's a very important part of the FTA's group's overall numbers. Um, There's also a a very important indirect effect on our subscriber revenue. And so we have some very bright, skilled, uh, intelligent statisticians uh, in our data team that are modeling the effect of event attendees on reader engagement. And so we know from past experience that people who used to come to our physical events tend to be more engaged with the with the newspaper. So they once they've attended an event, uh, they tend to read more stories or engage more more with our FT.com website. And so anything that can uh, push up their engagement is very powerful. So not only does an event delegate deliver revenues and profits to the events business, but by increasing uh, subscriber engagement with FT.com, their likelihood of renew is bigger, and so the LTV is bigger and so actually when you calculate you know profits and revenues and the effect of events not only direct but also indirect it's a really really important part of, of the group strategy.
0: Do you have specific data to back that up Orson awesome. the link between you know engagement and delegates and subscription?
1: We're actually doing doing a really big experiment now so we we used to measure this in the physical event space where if a subscriber attended an event they're engagement would jump up quite considerably, I think I think up to 20% in the in the three to six months after having attended an event. We're now repeating that experiment uh, with our digital events. And so it's still, the experiment is still ongoing. So we don't have final numbers, but, you know, the initial indications is that that effect is just as strong and if not even stronger. And so, but, you know, the experiment is still ongoing. So I'm afraid I can't, I can't disclose the numbers and And also it's not just the uh, increased engagement of existing subscribers of course there's a huge acquisition opportunity right and so when you're bringing in two hundred and fifty thousand people and by the way, you know of the two hundred and fifty thousand i think um only about twenty or twenty five percent were were f t subscribers so a lot of this is new data and it's new new data coming into the into the business that can be turned into subscribers and so that that's very exciting so there's opportunities in acquisition and there's opportunities in retention and increasing LTV of our subscribers and there are the revenues and profits delivered to the event group as well and so you know there, there, there are lots of positive halo effects
0: yeah for for clarity what kind of deals do you run for subscribers for events and and vice versa what do non-subscribers do they get any subscription deals
1: the way you price digital events is very very different to to physical events and so that has been an interesting journey right and so <clears throat> throughout the past 12 months we we have tried lots of different pricing points uh, and within that we've tried lots of different offers or incentives for subscribers and or non-subscribers and And so what we'd like to see in the future is a more closely aligned approach where we can offer subscribers access to our events but also where we can offer non-subscribers access to discounted subscriptions and so the reality is Jacob we're we're, we're experimenting with lots of different pricing points and and offers and discounts points in order to to ascertain where the where the best kind of number lies really so that you know we're, st- we're still playing with that as the answer
0: yeah well it's, it's interesting because i mean who do you consider to be your competitors I mean, in a world of you yeah. know free webinars youtube even clubhouse other competitors running events you know finding that price point is an interesting one for, you know for example the future of news ones i think that's rrp 299 so how can you take me through you know how you arrive at a price point like that
1: yeah good qu- very good question and so Bear in mind, a physical B two B event in the pre-COVID world would run anything from a thousand pounds to three thousand, four thousand pounds for some very premium products, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was always very, it was always immediately obvious that in the digital space, those numbers just wouldn't wouldn't fly, right? Uh, And so, the reality is that two two nine nine price on the future of news is probably going to not going to be the the price we land on for maybe events that will run in September, October. So there's you know, we've been experimenting with higher pricing points and lower volumes, or lower pricing points and bigger volumes. Um, you know, how did we get to that that exact price? I think it was more or less it. You know, you start with what, what does what feels right and what feels premium because we are a premium brand, but also what allows us to bring those large global uh, audiences. Now, price also changed depending on maybe the sector, or the or the topic or the event, and so you have some very premium events uh, and others you know that, that run in certain markets like our you know energy and commodity markets are very different from say you know our b2c luxury markets and they're very different from you know we run events in transportation we run events in in the hr space and so we try and be um, relatively uniform but obviously we we also want to you know It's that balance between maximizing revenues and having a good enough audience at the event, really. And so it's a mix of art and science is the reality. You know, we we started with a well-established physical price. We knew that that wouldn't fly at all. And so some events we ran free to attend. So the Global Boardroom was was free to attend. Um, um, Others we started charging for, and we saw how people reacted on that. And so we're now convinced that we do want to charge for all of our events we've la- we've made that that decision uh, apart from some kind of outlying exceptions
0: do you hesitate against running free events
1: uh i come from I, i'm not a huge fan of them in the sense that i come from a background of always running you know paid delegate events because you know you don't really always want to rely on, on sponsorship revenue when you're running an event business for a variety of reasons you know a it's better to have multiple revenue sources b if you rely too much on sponsored revenue, that can create issues in terms of in terms of sponsors being too too present at an event, um, uh, and also when we when we know we are offering something that is special like the FT journalism, well, you know that there's an inherent value in that compared to a lot of other players out in the market. And so, instinctively, I don't really like running events that are free to attend. To be honest, um, the Global Boardroom was an exception. I mean, bear in mind we put that event together in four weeks' time. Well. I knew for a fact that you know if we're going to charge you know you need longer marketing lead times in order to gather audiences right Uh, and so i knew that putting an event with 120 speakers in four weeks time and and expecting a paying audience would have been would have been impossible and so
0: hell of a (laughs) task
1: yeah i very very quickly made the decision that it was going to be free to attend or we're going to monetize it via sponsorship and you know and obviously that was the right decision Uh, but we're not rushing things and we have time, you know, long marketing lead times to put our events together and to gather paying audiences. That's definitely the direction of travel we want to be in. We don't want to be beholden to one revenue stream that is sponsorship stream.
0: That And people might just sign up and decide, well, I've got nothing to lose. I'll just not attend now. They'll just drop off with the last minute.
1: Oh, correct. Yeah, of course. You know, it's on, on free to attend events, your, your conversion rate is about is about 50%. And So, you know, 50% of the delegates don't turn up. And w- when it's paid, the numbers are much, much bigger. You're, you're up into the 80s or 90s. Right? Really? Yeah, yeah. What I mean by that, if there's a free to attend event and you have ten thousand people signing up, on average only five thousand or six thousand will show up on the day. Right. But on a paid event, eighty or ninety percent of the payers will turn up. Right. And so you, you have a much better idea of the of kind of a guaranteed audience on the day. And so inevitably the numbers are smaller, but you know they were they're going to turn up.
0: You know, do you think it actually makes sense for online events to be live? because that kind of narrows your your focus you're saying you're know, at this one time on this one day you could come do you think this this is actually an effective way to run online events i mean
1: ultimately the the answer is yes so first of all the vast majority of our content is is run actually live and this was a decision i made very early on in the day i can't i kind of felt that yes we can do pre-records but there just isn't there just isn't the same feeling if something is pre-recorded than it is live, and so I would say that ninety-five percent of the content that you see at FT Live is completely live, and some exceptions, but mainly to do with you know speakers' personal circumstances, we do pre-record sessions, but very rarely, we, you know, I really don't like doing it. Now back to your question: Does it make sense to run events live on a certain day? The, the answer is yes, because otherwise, you still need to create that sense of momentum on occasion, and so. You run, if you say, listen, we're going to put out this event and it's going to be pre recorded and you can watch it whenever you like. The reality is that that date in the diary doesn't get put into your diary, right? The reality is people's attention spans are very short. And so people get very distracted and content dates very, very quickly, right? So, you know, we do have a VOD offering, which is really important because. The reality is, as as you said at the beginning, nobody is going to sit down at their desk to watch an online conference for for 12 hours in a day. What people do is they watch bits and pieces and then they like going back on the VOD. But going to the other side, just doing a video on demand option without a live session, I don't think would work either.
0: Amazing. Really, really interesting. Final question for me then, Orson, is what does the prognosis look like for virtual events at the Financial Times?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen... You know, our virtual event business is storming and, and, you know, the digital event business is doing very well. I think what what we are now trying to get our heads around is how and when will physical events come back and in what shape? And are they going to be hybrid and are they going to be digital? And it's a long answer to that, which we don't have time today. But what it will say is that we are a digital first proposition. And of course, we will have live events coming back. And as I said, please come and join us at Kenwood House in September. But digital is never going away. We never want to lose track of those big global audiences from... Papua New Guinea to Argentina Uh, even when we do go back in the physical format that digital piece will never go away
0: awesome thanks for all of your time and insights and thanks for jumping on the journalism.co.uk
1: podcast thank you Jacob it's been it's been a pleasure thank you so much
0: great to speak to awesome there and many things to take away from this one we talk a lot about hybrid models in many parts of the media industry now trying to combine the best of both the physical and virtual worlds I'm sure many of us are itching to go back to physical venues soon, myself included, but it's worth remembering that virtual events have proven to be much more of an asset than just a stopgap. Just remember that when physical events return, so do expectations. Forty connections and bad setups might not cut it any longer. If you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. If you'd like to feature on the show, do drop me an email on jacob at But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.